0: We're talking about big church. Not really big church in numbers, but big church about a big idea. A movement that started 2,000 years ago. And while we're not talking about numbers, we have to admit something drove thousands of people into the streets of Jerusalem that day. But let's talk about numbers just a minute. Before COVID, any given Sunday in the United States, 60% of churches have less than 100 in their pews. More than 20% have less than 50. Only 10% of churches have more than 250 in attendance. Now let's talk about you just a minute, St. Andrews. Three years ago, St. Andrews was knocking on heaven's door, wasn't it? Ready to close the doors. But a few patriarchs of this church, faithful, decided, no, we're not gonna do that. And they took a risk on a young pastor by the name of Michael. And new life was infused within this church. But I know one of the things that keeps Michael up at night and an associate pastor and your new one will be the fact that can we sustain that which ignited their hearts 2,000 years ago. And sometimes I think that we've forgotten really who God is. So I take you to the scripture now. It's in Genesis chapter 16. Abraham and Sarah are trying to have children, and Sarah can't conceive. And so, which was common in that day, Sarah gave her handmaiden, Hagar, to Abraham and said, let's have a family through her, a surrogate. And so, Hagar becomes pregnant, and then she starts to get a little bit proud and despise Sarah because Sarah can't have children. And so, Sarah, in turn, treats her very poorly, so poorly that Hagar runs away into the desert. And this is where we pick up the story in verse 7. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Sir. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarah... Where have you come from? Where are you going? I think it's a good question to ask. Anyone that's a Christian or St. Andrews as a whole, where have you come from? And where are you going as we talk about this big idea of church? And sometimes I think we kind of forget who our God really is. Over the last two years, I've had opportunity to speak at many small groups, some women, mostly men. And normally at the end of that time together, one or maybe two hang around because they want to talk. And so many times they've said to me, Troy, I'm just not happy with the way our church is going, with the establishment, with the way it presents itself. Not St. Andrews, okay, other churches. And as we talk about a little bit, you know, we'll go about our business, and then I'll see them, and they'll say it again, and then they'll say it again, and say it again. And I'll finally ask them, why don't you just leave that church? Oh, they look at me like they're horrified. Troy, we can't leave the church. I said I didn't say leave the church. I said why don't you leave that church? The answer is always the same. We can't. I mean, our roots are there, our families are there, our children were there. We've got our name on plaques there, which is always a good reason to stay at church. Right? I failed to ask him but I should have. Is that property in that building your god? because that's not what started 2000 years ago. It was a movement that ignited the hearts of the believers. And this is what happened. Jesus Christ died. He was buried, that's how we know he was dead. God raised him to life the third day and he was seen by more than 500 people, alive. And that ignited their very souls. We have forgotten I think sometimes how much Jesus does for us. We need new eyes to see what our hearts have taught us long ago. There's a rabbi by the name of Michael Aaron, great name for a Jewish rabbi, Aaron. And and he has many children. He's a great teacher of the Torah. And he's gonna take his little two-year-old son for a walk one day out on the sidewalk. Because see, as kids grow up, uh, sometimes they learn to walk, run, and speak on the same day. You you ever had that, you know, that that just bam, they're there. Okay, and so he takes him outside and the little man's got a death grip on his dad's finger and they're walking down the sidewalk. Right? And all of a sudden, this bird zooms across and the little boy goes, Abba, Z. Abba, meaning father, he's talking to his dad. Z, which means that. And the rabbi bends down and said, yes, son, that is a bird. Can you say bird? The little boy says, bud, tries it out. So they walk on down the sidewalk and then again, a bird comes right past them. And the little boy says, Abazi, Abazi. And the rabbi says, well, son, that too is a bird. And he looks in his son's eyes and he sees the confusion. He doesn't understand. And, and then the creator of this universe gently takes the rabbi and shakes him and says, do you realize what you've done? I have created literally tens of thousands of individual, unique, one-of-a-kind flying creations, and you've labeled all of them a bird. And it's at that point the rabbi realizes that we've all become filing agents in our life. If it flies, it's a bird. If it moves, it's a cow. If it sets in a few, it's a people. You're just a people, every one of you. And he realizes there's no wonder, there's no wonder in our lives anymore. And in the Jewish Hebrew culture, it talks about the great Z, the great that with a capital T, that which cannot be explained, that which cannot be understood, cannot be fathomed. That is the great Z in our lives. It talks about God and children see it and we so often miss it. Which is why Jesus said, unless you become like a child, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. Have we truly forgotten everything that God has given us, that drove the disciples and all the people of the way into the streets in Jerusalem. Children see it. I remember when Cameron was five, we had Christopher. And so they're about five years apart. Sharon and I thought we could you know, handle both if we had at least five years of, of knowing the first one first. Uh, didn't work that way, as a matter of fact. But when Christopher was about one, Cheryl's parents said, we want to take y'all to Disney World. And no one was happier than me. I love Disney World. Do you love Disney World? Okay, great. All right, Disney World rocks. And so we knew Cameron would have a great time being five years old. We thought, Christopher, you know, it's going to be a little dicey. He needs a, he needs a nap in the morning. He needs a nap in the afternoon. And, and so we went to Disney World. It worked out okay. We took turns, you know. And, and at the end of the trip, we found ourselves on Main Street of the Magic Kingdom, and over the loudspeakers, it said, the, the, the extravaganza, spectaculars, fixing the hat. We knew it's the fireworks, okay? That's what it was. And, and so, you know, I didn't want to, it was my day with Christopher. And I looked at Cheryl and I said, I, I think he'll be fine. She goes, hm, okay, buddy. And so, we're there. And Christopher gets a little squirrely and starts crawling around my neck and stuff. And he's getting anxious, you know, and man, you know, he needs a nap. And and all of a sudden the lights dim in the park and that gets his attention. And and, and then music seems to come from somewhere and that gets his attention. And, And his eyes get really big. It's as if, The bigger his eyes can get, he can take it all in. And then Tinkerbell streaks across the sky, and two rockets go over the magic kingdom. And and I can see the synapses firing off in his brain. I don't know really what he's going to do. And then fireworks explode in the sky. And I just watch Christopher as his hands raise up. He starts to kiss feet, and he squeals in joy and delight because it's the great sea in his life. He's never seen it before. He can't explain it. He can't understand it, but he surrenders to it. And the thing that happened next is really important because everybody around us started looking at us and kind of moving closer to us because they weren't mad, they weren't angry. The fact of it was, is that they started to remember in their own hearts what it was like to see fireworks for the first time. That kind of passion is what the new believers had God wants to invite us into a relationship where we understand that we are collectively the body of Christ, yes. But individually, what do you believe? Where have you come from? And where are you going? Most people think their lives are ordinary. Let me tell you, your life is not ordinary. It's extraordinary and can be for the kingdom of God. I remember when Cameron was born, our first child, 20 years of youth ministry did not prepare me for the heartbeat of my own child. Not even close. I saw that in the monitor and I thought, oh my God, what have I done? And, and, and so as it got closer to the due date, I, Cheryl was doing much better than me. And all of a sudden we find ourselves in the delivery room and, and I'm looking around and things are going on and, and she's doing much better. She had drugs, okay, but, but, you know, she's sitting there, I'm seeing things I probably shouldn't see. And, and then the doctor says, Troy, hold her leg. And I'm going, oh my God. And, and, and they're working with her and they say, Cheryl, come on, one more push. And he's coming out. And I thought to myself, there's no way that's coming out there, but it does. He comes out. And they cut the cord, and his lungs pull in the air. And they hand the child to my wife, and I sat there. And you may not be a touchy-feely person, but let me tell you something, get into this, that God would let us have anything to do with life and creating it is extraordinary. And this is the kind of life that God wants us to know and remember and understand. It's an extraordinary life that you live. And most people miss it. The disciples, they missed a lot too. They knew of this rabbi. They, 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 they learned to love him. And they he had words of life they'd never heard before. And he did things they'd never seen before. And so they followed him. And one evening they're on the Sea of Galilee. They're in a boat. Jesus is probably taught all day long. He's tired. He sleeps. And as sometimes happens on the Sea of Galilee, a storm can blow in very quickly and it can be violent. And it can certainly capsize your boat. And so it blows in too quickly. The the disciples are striving against the wind. It's, It's blowing them here and there. They're trying to roll back to shore. They can't get there. Water starts coming over and they're bailing it out. And finally, they go back to the rabbi that's asleep and say, hey, you know, it's kind of dire straits. Or can you do something for us? And Jesus gets up and says, Be still. And everything was. As a matter of fact, it was too still. And his disciples looked around, nobody said anything for five or 10 minutes until John leans over to Peter and says, don't make him mad. This guy is the real deal. And from that point, when they saw a rabbi, a master that can not only change hearts, but could control very nature, their hearts started to ignite. This is the God that we follow. The church began to grow. The 12 disciples were brought before the council. They were beaten horribly, as Michael told you last week. They tell them, don't you talk about the name of Jesus. And what did they do when they went back out on the streets? They told the message of Jesus. Why? Why would you do that? Because they believed. It ignited their hearts and their souls. And that is why we're here today. Stephen. Stephen. As, as the church got bigger, they had to have more leaders, and Stephen was a man of God, and so they made him a leader, and he starts preaching the word. He starts giving the message so much that the establishment, the hierarchy of the Jewish religious order says, God, another one. we gotta, we got to cap this down. we got to do something here. Rome wasn't doing anything about the persecution. They didn't care anymore. And so they brought Stephen before the council, and they said, give an account for yourself. And in the scriptures, it's so wonderful because Stephen has the best and longest sermon that we find. He starts with their scriptures in the Torah and he explains to them and proves to them that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He died. He was buried. He rose again and he lives. And you guys killed him, but he rose again and he rose for all of us and they can't stand it. And they take Stephen out the door and they stone him. Now, today as I preach this sermon, I don't anticipate that any of you are going to carry me out and stone me. I'm telling you that's not a good thing to do. All right. But maybe that's the problem because as I think to myself, what if that were an option? What would I do? And sometimes I wonder, Troy, what's happened to you? Can you have the same passion that they had 2,000 years ago. Enter Saul. It had been about three years now since this had happened and the way was out in the open and it was spreading like wildfire. And Saul, who was a, Ro- um, was a Roman, he probably had money because he was a Roman. He, was, he had studied under Gamaliel and he was a Pharisee. He had everything it took. But here's the point that, that, that really is the second Super Bowl. First Super Bowl, God raises Jesus from the dead. Second Super Bowl, Saul, that's gonna be turned into Paul. Saul went to the high priest and said, I want the authority to go and round up the people of the way, as Natalie already told you. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father, but by me. That's why they call them people of the way. And so, the, 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 they, they, they gave him all the authority needed and he headed off to Damascus to bring back those people of the way to imprison them and execute them if they could find grounds against them. And on the way, Saul was blinded by the light. If you didn't know, that's where that song came from. All right. It's better when Michael does that. Okay. Acts 9 verse 3, now is Saul sojourned He approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven flashed about him. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He didn't say, why did you persecute the church or the way or those people? No, he said, why are you persecuting me? Which is the indication that we get that we are collective body. Anytime someone takes up arms against the church or the people of the way, They go against Jesus because we are God's footprint on this earth, you and me. We represent Jesus. We don't individually, really, because none of you are that good. It's okay, I'm not either. But collectively, we are Jesus on this earth. And the establishment that had power and control, they couldn't stand it, so they had to try to stamp it out. So Saul gets blinded by the light. Verse 10, in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias, and the Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. I don't know about you, but when I'm praying and if I have a vision and God calls my name, I usually wouldn't respond like that. I would think one of my kids would call me, and I'd go call my doctor. Why? Isn't that possible for you and me too? Ananias says, yes, Lord. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And I know what's going on in Ananias' mind. He's going, (laughs) Saul, yeah, that name rings a bell. God, I'm not sure I want to do that. You see, because I don't think I need to go looking for him. I think he's looking for me to take me and change to Jerusalem. But see, here's the thing. Those present-day Saints back then. They had a faith that I can't approach sometimes. You see, I, I, I want to have faith. I think I have faith, but then I think in the back of my mind, I kind of like to have a little reassurance it's going to happen, and that's not faith. I equate it to the story about Sally. Sally's hiking up in the mountains and she gets too close to the cliff she falls right over the edge of it. She's falling to her death, but miraculously she reaches out and grabs a branch that is sticking out of the side of that cliff. And she's kicking her feet and she's screaming thousands of feet below her, 25 feet above her. She has no, nowhere to go. And she hears a voice. Sally, I see your predicament. I'm here to help you. And she goes, oh, Thank God, who's up there? The voice says, it's God, Sally. I'm here to help you. Take great courage, have great faith. Simply let go. Oh, what? Yes, Sally, I see you. Have faith and take courage. Simply let go. And Sally musters up all of her courage and all her faith. And then she says, is anyone else up there? Isn't that the way faith is for us sometimes? Now, faith requires us to do something. And Ananias went, he prayed for Paul, now Paul, and the scales fell off of his eyes. And this is the story I love the best. This is the second Super Bowl because see what happens is, it's like two basketball teams and they're playing and they're pretty evenly matched except for this one dude on the other team that can dunk and knock off three-pointers and block shots. If it wasn't for that guy, we could probably beat this team. But this guy's just fantastic. We can't, we can't get past him. And so halftime comes, and they're down about 15 or 20 points, and it's tough. And all of a sudden they look over, and here comes that star player. He's walking across the court. He's pulling off his jersey. He throws it down. He says, have y'all got a jersey for me? I want to play on your team now. Paul started to ignite the souls of everyone around him. It took some time because the church didn't trust him at first. But as time went on, Jesus ignited his heart. And, he, and it's like he went to the disciples and said, you guys take Jerusalem, I got the rest of the world. And he did. He went all over Asia. He went so many ship trips and, 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 and boats and, and, and by, by land and water, everything. He he started churches called little ecclesias all over the place. He wrote letters. He was stoned and left for dead twice. He was beaten and whipped about three times. Shipwrecked numerous times. You see, Jesus told Ananias, this is my instrument, my chosen one. And I'm going to show him how much he has to suffer for me. Paul ignited the world. Near the end of his life, he knew he had to go to Rome. He wanted to appeal to the emperor, to Nero. And he does. And they keep him in prison there. It's at the end of his life. And in 66 AD, one day, the soldiers came and got Paul quietly. They let him out of the city gates to a place where Paul knew he would be executed. And Nero had Paul beheaded. But that didn't stop it. No, the influence that Paul had would continue to this day. And here's what I really love. He talks about it in Hebrews. In Hebrews 13, he says, these people, he's talking about all the people that came before him, these people all died having faith in God. They did not receive what God had promised them yet, but they could see far away to all the things that God promised, and they were glad for them. They knew they were strangers here. This earth was not their home. Where have we come from? And where are we going? So many times as we think about our 401k and we think about COVID and we think about our homes and our jobs and all the kinds of things that we have to think about, sometimes we forget this is not our home. Abraham said, I envision a city made by God's hand and it's not here. And sometimes I think we forget. Two years after Nero beheaded Paul, Nero took his own life. He was afraid he would be assassinated so he just committed suicide. (laughs) And 2000 years later, we name our dogs Nero and our sons Paul. If your name's Nero I'm sorry as we come to a close today, I, I want to tell you a little story it, it, because you might be saying to me, troy, I can't be Paul, I know I get it. I know you can't. It reminds me of a story. a rancher by the name of Bobby. Bobby was a man's man, kind of rough around the edges, and uh, uh, if, if you didn't agree with Bobby, you wouldn't tell him, okay? It just wasn't worth it. Had a wife, a couple of kids, lived in the community there. But Bobby didn't get the salvation thing. He didn't get the free gift. That, that, that didn't make sense to him. But one night, about one in the morning, actually, Bobby had a dream. He had a dream that he was sliding into hell, and there's nothing he could do about it. It scared him to death. He woke up in, in sweats and shivers. And he got on the phone and called his best friend who happened to be, incidentally, the pastor of the little community church there. His name was LC and he said, LC, I gotta talk to you. He said, well, okay, Bobby, can it wait? No, can't wait, it's gotta be right now. What Bobby wanted, Bobby got. So Bobby gets in his truck and he travels about 10 miles to the pastor's house where they consume numerous pots of coffee until six the next morning. And this is kind of how it ended. I don't get it, LC. If I could fight a bear, if I could climb a mountain or swim an ocean, I could, then I could get the free gift. And Elsie said, Bobby, you can't do it. Jesus died for you. He was buried. He rose again on the third day and was alive for your sins. It's a free gift. There's nothing you can do for it. Bobby says, well, I don't get it, but it makes less sense not to take the free gift, so we'll just do that right now. pastor said, okay, Bobby and they prayed. Over the next two months, three months, the community could see it had a difference, made a difference in Bobby's life. Something was igniting his heart and his soul. Now every once in a while he'd forget himself and curse a blue streak, but it hurt him when he did and they noticed that. Something was happening in his life. And so after about four to five months, the church said, Bobby, you wanna be a deacon? He said, I think I do. (laughs) <laughs> in that little church. Now, I'm sorry, but you've got to understand little churches in the country, uh, they don't have much to do a lot of times. So, Deacon Sunday, when the deacon would stand before everybody, that's when they could ask him any question they wanted, okay? Nobody misses that Sunday. It's nearly as big as Easter. It's better than volleyball and checkers at the community center on Friday night. Nobody missed that Sunday, do you smoke? Do you drink? Do you gamble? Do you, you know, answer all these questions. But at the end of the service, the candidate gets to tell their story. And so as Bobby got up to tell his story that morning, he said, well, it's, it's really not, it's really not all that fantastic. He said, it, it was probably the dream that kind of pushed me over the, the edge, but it wasn't the dream. It was the fact that I had watched somebody for a year. I watched how they lived their life. They didn't seem to get mad and cuss a blue streak, everything, when things didn't go their way or they got mad. They were kind to people and they liked just about everybody, even their relatives. They seemed to know that God had his hand on their life and they were okay with that. It made a difference and and I found myself wanting what they had. the sanctuary is silent at this point. You can hear a pin drop because everybody's wondering who is it? It must be him. It must be her. It must be him. The deacons are all thinking well it's probably me or probably the pastor that's They weren't prepared when Bobby said it was a 15 year old boy. Changed his life. It ignited the heart of Bobby Dunn. It ignited the 15-year-old boy's heart too because I was there and I never knew my father was watching me like that, not like that. And from that day forward, I've asked myself, where have you come from? Where are you going? We are collectively the body of Christ, but you, your life is important. And it's amazing and it's extraordinary. And God wants to touch your life and make you realize all the potential you have for His kingdom. So I ask you this morning: Where have you come from? Where are you going?